Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to the next episode of Exponential Wisdom with Peter Diamandis. And Peter, I just want to pat ourselves on the chest. We're now in the top 2% of all podcasts in the world in terms of predictable downloads. So we're averaging over 20,000, and there are 700,000 podcast series in the world, and Exponential Wisdom is in the top 2%, which well, means Thank you to all those who are listening. I hope you continue to listen and invite your friends. And send it out to a hundred of your closest friends as a link. So what do we talk about today, Dan? What's on your mind? Well, you know, the thing that I see very evident in terms of strategic coach clients, especially in the area of both residential and commercial real estate, I always say it doesn't matter where you are in the world, whether you're in Silicon Valley, Hollywood, Wall Street in New York, Washington, D.C., these are sort of power centers in the world, and there's all sorts of different activities, but the one that always really makes money is the real estate industry. Yeah, well, my next book, which is called The Future is Faster Than You Think, has a a segment on real estate, and I think exponential tech is going to forever change real estate in a number of fundamental ways. So let's talk about that. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. And just a little kickoff example, I have a terrifically successful architectural firm It's in a nearby city to Toronto, Richard Hammond and his great company. Is that Los Angeles? (laughs) This is uh, Toronto. This is the fastest growing affluent city in the world, in case you want to get a context here. We have more cranes now than Dubai does. We have 180 major projects going up. That's insane. They're predicting 20 years the population of Toronto, greater Toronto, is equal to greater Los Angeles. And this is a country that really, really has short summers. We have very short (laughs) summers here. But anyway, it's growing like crazy. And the commercial and the residential real estate industries, we haven't had a downturn in either of those industries since 1989 in Toronto. Wow. But one of the things is that the use of technology vastly expands the teamwork that's possible, which speeds up projects. You know, there's a lot of waiting time before you get approvals to actually start any kind of real estate project. But just talking about the real estate itself and how, quite apart from the construction, let's just talk about real breakthroughs that you've seen yourself of where architects, space planners are really using technology to put together entirely new kinds of teamwork. So, great question. And I'll begin by saying there is a disruptive concept around real estate That is actually the fact that we're heading towards a future where you probably may not Mm -hmm. need real estate. I mean, the fundamental disruption, and one of the things I brought to Buttons360 last year was a new A360 member who started a company called EXP Realty. Mm -hmm. It's a great story. So it's 2008, just before the crash, he had been building a new real estate company, a realty company. And when the crash happens, because everything goes financially upside down, he asked the question, do I really need to have offices or could we be a completely virtual operation? They ended up building out a virtual campus, actually on a virtual island using a software called Verbella, sort of like Second Life that Philip Rosedale created. And as a realty agent, and they had 14,000 realty agents right now, They work from their home, but their office is a virtual campus where they go in and they meet each other and they have meetings and they do lessons and they can meet clients. So 
one interesting disruption of the real estate industry, commercial real estate, is where you don't have a physical office mm -hmm. anymore, where you actually are living and working in a virtual world completely. I find that pretty amazing. I think it's coming, and they're doing this strictly with laptops. And as we get to full-on VR, where you might live in a virtual world, you know, where you mm -hmm. feel like you're physically there, I think that's going to change things up well, a little bit. Well, can I ask you a question about that? Because I remember the presentation that you gave at A360, but what's the same and what's different? Because they're still local in terms of who they're selling to, for the most part. They're local in a virtual way. So how does day-to-day -day life actually work for someone who's a real estate agent at the most basic level? So Glenn Sanford, who's the CEO here, basically operates in all 50 U.S. states and three Canadian provinces. They have 400 MLS market areas. So as a national or you know, North American company, what they can do is they can have meetups of their entire company instead of flying everybody in. Mm -hmm. People can do training. You can go and meet the marketing team or the finance team. And you can make appointments and go and meet each other. But it's very different than just getting on a phone call. Because when you're actually interacting with a virtual version of Dan Sullivan and having a conversation, it feels like you had a meeting in that regard. Now, it's not going to replace everything. But I do believe that this virtual real estate idea and virtual campuses and virtual offices are going to start to disrupt how much real estate, how many offices, and how much time we spend in cars. Yeah. Well, here's a question for me. It seems to me like they have two types of customers here. So if they have a national customer, would they sell their platform and their whole approach to the national company so the national company doesn't need real estate? So they actually are doing that. So Glenn Samford, again, the CEO of eXp, the realty company, bought Verbella, which is the platform company, and they're offering it as a service to other companies that want to create virtual mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is for sure the meta business idea. Yeah, because at a certain point, you know, I mean, the, the profitability for real estate is still in land. Very interesting that I was looking at a history of the railroad industry in the United States, which is one of the biggest systems in the world, the actual track mileage in the United States. But the railroad industry, since its inception in the 1840s, has never made any money as an industry. But to give them an incentive to develop the tracks really quickly across the United States, they gave them land on both sides of the tracks. And all the profits from the railroad companies enjoyed was really the real estate. You know, that's where the towns formed. Everybody wanted to be close to their... Dan, it's so funny. I was looking at that exact same. It's the 1870s, 80s, and 90s, the land grant. I was looking at that as a model for what might happen on the moon and in space with Bezos and Musk needing to invest billions in the government, giving them land grants that they don't necessarily own right now. But yeah, no, for sure. That's crazy. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, Dan. Do you allow your employees to work virtually from home or does everybody have to come in? We have a very limited, very, very specialized skilled people. For example, my cartoonist who does all the cartoons for my quarterly books, he lives in Prince Edward Island, which is a tiny island province on the East Coast. And we do it all by Zoom. All of our meetings are by Zoom. Yeah. And he can put the pages right up on the Zoom screen, and we actually create the cartoons 
together. So to a certain extent, that's kind of like a half step to what you're actually talking about. But mostly, a lot of our work really requires people working together on a continual basis daily. And there's a certain company spirit that's generated by people actually being in physical so far. I mean, we haven't seen the replacement for this yet that would guarantee a result as much as we get. As a matter of fact, you know from your coming to Chicago and coming to Toronto that we have a cafe in each of our offices, which more or less motivates people to always be there sometime during the day when they meet people that they're not necessarily working with. And, you know, they kind of hang out together. So, so far, we wouldn't be at the point where we'd like to experiment with that, but that's based on our size right now. Next to a lot of the companies that you're talking about this, we're pretty small potatoes, but we're up to 130 team members. You know, I can see in a future growth stage of ourselves where we would do the virtual in addition to what we're already doing physically. So here's another major disruptor in the real estate business. You know this, we just talked about this in Toronto. It really, the old adage, location, location, location is the fundamental driver. Mm -hmm. And it's, you're not building more oceanfront or you're not building more downtown. Mm -hmm. You're going up, that's why more and more. But what happens if the location value changes because the means of getting there? And you know this, where there are cities that have ring roads, Mm -hmm. the ring roads sort of represent the modes of transportation. There was a ring around it when it was sort of walking or horse and buggy. Mm -hmm. And when a car came along and shortened the distance, another ring got created. And so I'm fascinated by the idea that what was previously unattractive real estate because it took you an hour to get in Mm -hmm. might become attractive real estate because it's 10 minutes in a Uber Elevate air taxi. Yep. Or half an hour in an autonomous car where I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Or you're working or you're conferencing. You know, you're actually doing the work when you do that. I don't think it's going to be an either or. It's going to be, you know, Peter Thiel is a big proponent of technology, human teamwork. You know, he says sometimes humans should really be in charge of it. And probably the best situation is for the humans to actually be together. And then there are situations where humans are using technology and technology is actually determining it. He was talking about the intelligence institutions in the United States. They find that there's some things that humans really do better than technology. And there's vast cases where you're crunching numbers very quickly. You have to take something very complicated and make it simple. So my feeling is that there's no straight rule in technology. It depends on where it is. You know, for example, it would be different in the United States than it would be in Denmark. It would be very different. You have vast spaces in the United States. So virtual makes an incredible amount of sense in a country that has vast spaces. I think about that, like Australia. You know, the Australia is just as wide as the United States, except there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> you know, they have Los Angeles, they have New York, but they don't have Peoria, they don't have Omaha, they don't have Columbus, Ohio, you know. So it all depends, I think, of the configuration of the land that you're actually living in. L.A., I can see, simply because, you know, it is a lot of wasted time. I know just from 
6 or 7 o'clock at night going from Santa Monica to Beverly Hills to go to a restaurant, whatever the time they give you, you have to add another half or 50% to actually give yourself a safety margin to be there on time. If you're lucky. Yeah. I'll give you an example. This weekend, I was visiting a friend, Keith Frazzi, in mm-hmm. Topanga Canyon. So I live in Santa Monica, and if there's no traffic to get to this particular place, is about 30 minutes, but if there's traffic, it can take you an hour and a half. And so the idea of living in the hills, and it's beautiful in Topanga Canyon, but the idea of commuting back and forth to a house there would be, for me, you know, three hours a day in a car would be devastating. But I'm a pilot as well, and I fly out of Santa Monica, and when I get airborne, if I wanted to fly to Topanga, it's five minutes. So I can imagine real estate value of Topanga exploding if there were skyports that you could mm-hmm. land in there. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the distance is not driving through windy roads and on the PCH during a crowded time, but it's basically just as the crow flies. So I think air taxis are going to change the value substantially of real estate. Can I ask you a question? It's actually two experiences that you've already had where what you were proposing, and one of them was the zero-gravity flights, and the other one was the first private space flight, where the law actually had to be changed. Sure. In both cases, you had to build the technology, but the other thing was to actually get the regulatory support for... Guess which one was easier. Yeah, well, (laughs) I'm not sure that in those days anything was easy for you. But the whole point is, so if, let's say, you have a lot of air taxis, you know, and they're the full Monty, they're self-flying air taxis. Talk about this, and you include all fields of potential barriers to a technology. How would it be regulated in such a way that there's not collisions? I mean, if like a thousand people now in Los Angeles have the means to fly every day where they want to go, already you've got a bit of a complexity problem in terms of the traffic. So how is this being thought about? Is this all regulated by AI? In other words, that your taxi can only do what the signals allow it to do? Is that basically the approach that they're taking? Oh, there's a lot of work. There's about probably a billion dollars a year being invested in air taxis. And it's not by just startups. It's Airbus, it's Boeing, Mm -hmm. it's Embraer, it's Bell, all these players. And then Uber is sort of an overarching platform play they're going to start testing in Los Angeles and in Dallas, the mm-hmm. first two cities they're mm-hmm. in a couple of years. They hope to be operational by 2023, which is not far from now. And there would be a pilot on board, but the pilot is there basically for regulatory purposes. But all of it will be done by AI. They'll be flying in known corridors, and they'll be flying at very predicted patterns. So they're not flying anywhere to anywhere. They're flying in nodes. So there would be what they call these mega skyports. The mega skyport may be at the intersection of the 10 and the 405. It may be next to the Dodger Stadium. There are large nodes. And then there would be smaller skyports, like there might be one in the downtown Topanga area, where downtown mm-hmm. is like, you know, 20 shops, mm-hmm. right? You would fly from node to node. You wouldn't be flying from your backyard. You would take an Uber five minutes to the node, hop in a ride share, and then go to downtown Santa Monica or downtown LA. 
Well, here's a question for you then to loop back to the beginning of this conversation. It seems to me that real estate close to the node, uh, the value of the real estate goes up very, very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, one of the interesting things for these nodes will be as we get rid of cars, car ownership and car parking, a lot of the parking garages would become Skyport nodes. Yeah. So here's a model that I read about, and that is in the United States, there's two types of cities. There's train cities and there's car cities. Yep. So, for example, the eastern cities, I grew up near Cleveland. The entire development of Cleveland was about the rail junction in the center of the city. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, all the big industrial cities formed around putting all the industry in the center of the city. And then you had train service that came in from the outside. And then cars had to adapt to already existing configurations, whereas Dallas and Los Angeles are car cities. In other words, they're late in development. They've never had the train service that the eastern cities do. So it seems to me where you'd want to start this is where there's really long distances that have been previously traveled by car. I think so. And L.A. is a great example of that versus a walking city like Amsterdam or something Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, but when I think about the, again, how does exponential technology disrupt real estate and this old location, location, location adage One way is going to be in new modes of transportation, which zero out the location. So air taxis, autonomous cars, right? Cities are going to spread out because I can now get twice the house if I'm willing to commute an hour, but I'm willing to commute an hour if I'm sleeping or meditating or playing games during that hour and it's me time versus me in Mm -hmm. front of a steering wheel. And then, of course, Hyperloop as well. Hyperloop is going to create bedroom cities that are now you're traveling at 1,000 kilometers, 1,200 kilometers per hour. So I could live you know, 600 kilometers away, and it's a 30-minute commute. But again, now I get five times the house in a beautiful garden open area than downtown Toronto or L.A. Right. or something like that. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. One of the things, and this is a bit of a different topic, but I think it relates directly on the real estate thing, What I've noticed is that people discount the value of their time that they're not being directly paid for. You know, and Facebook and Google have taken advantage of the fact that people put no value on their time except the time that they're actually getting paid for in their occupation or their profession, whatever it is. And I think I'm seeing a change now that people are saying, if my time is being used by someone else or I'm giving my time to someone else, then that has an economic value. And it seems to me that the blockchain technology plays a part in this, that your view time, so, you know, Facebook, the social media platforms say, well, it's free. You don't have to pay anything for it, but you do have to pay something in terms of your time. And my sense is that one of the developments that's going to happen, and it's economic, it's certainly an economic change, but I think it's a political change, that if you're using my time for any reason, that you're making money with my time, I get a share of that action. I agree with you. It's interesting. There was a report, I don't have the numbers strictly, but the data flowing out of autonomous cars is worth tens and tens of billions of dollars that people aren't accounting for. And what you do, you know, we talk about entertainment business. There is like a movie has a slot where it's in the theater and then it's on pay-per-view, then it's on airplanes, and then it's in your home. There's going to be another slot where they're going to mm-hmm. feature it in the car. Yes. Yeah, for sure. There's another mode of disrupting the location, 
paradigm, which is what if you could build more real estate, not up, but out on the ocean. So one of the ideas that's getting some traction is the idea of floating cities. Mm-hmm. So rather than you know trying to build more into downtown Hong Kong or downtown Manhattan or wherever, could you build a floating city? And the concept is called seasteading. And there's a new company that I know the CEO of called Ocean IX, I guess is what he pronounces it. But they're looking at basically creating these hexagonal modules that are 75 acres each that could sustain 10,000 residents. And then you can add hexagon to hexagon to hexagon and grow mm-hmm. a city off the coastline. Mm-hmm. And of course, those cities, because they're brand new, would be served by autonomous aerial taxis or autonomous boats mm-hmm. or you know whatever it might be. But I find that a fascinating idea, especially if the real estate value is less than the value of building it. Yes. I think that the other thing is about this, I mean, we already have examples, the number of marinas that are actually developing because in Toronto, when you build a new building, you build down three, sometimes four stories where you have parking, you know, the parking requirements. And they're putting a lot of their power plants now underneath. But what do you do with the dirt that comes out? And it has to go in a very systematic way into Lake Ontario. And they're building whole new nature preserves out from Toronto. And they expect within about 20 years that the downtown will actually be surrounded by new land areas surrounding the city. And now most of it's going into parkland right now, but they have marinas. So the marinas, people have their boats and they don't have houses in downtown Toronto. They have a boathouse. So the moored boathouse is the first example of having floating residences offshore. So my sense, and the Dutch, of course, know how to take the land and make more of it. Sure. Have you ever met Ilko? He's a big software developer in Amsterdam, and he's a coach. And I just had lunch with him, and I said, you know, Holland continually adds more land to what they started with. I think historically, they're about 40% bigger land-wise than what they started with, because they're at sea level, and they just keep adding to the land, and it mostly goes into agriculture, but a lot of it goes into residential and commercial space. So it seems to me that the technology that would create the hexagons would have all sorts of uses, not just in places where you're dealing with the ocean, but you're dealing with lakes, you're dealing with big lake areas. So I sure. grew up on the Great Lakes, you know, which are like oceans. <laughs> I'm a three-minute walk from one of the Great Lakes, and It would be interesting to see whether, you know, in areas that you're not interrupting with, you know, the beautiful vision of being on a lake, but areas where there's not many people living, I wonder if people would like to have a hexagon that they could have real estate. The thing is that this is either going to be rented or purchased. So one or the other, you're either leasing the space on the hexagon or you're buying it. And talk about a way for a city or a nation state to generate more income or revenue, you know, you build land that you can sell or tax or whatever. No, it's what I call a free zone frontier. You're actually taking an underused site. I mean, going down from LA to San Diego, there's your resort cities going down, but there's big areas where there's nothing onshore that would be interrupted. I think of the Marine base, you know, the Marine base as you're going down, that's a vast amount of land that the Marines have down there. 
it's not a beautiful zone of coastline, you know. There's nothing developed there and everything like that. But it's it's an interesting thing, and you wonder what the market forces are that would drive this. I think it's going to be city by city and region by region, but I mm-hmm. think there's a there there finally because the material sciences and the technology for robotics and for making things commute easy because of autonomous vehicles, that it's a no-brainer given the price of Hong Kong real estate and Toronto real estate and Manhattan real estate. Anybody who's interested, if you just go, the creator of this, the founder of this, and the guy named Mark, M-A-R-C, Collins Chen, Mark Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, Chen, and the company is called OceanX, O-C-E-A-N-I-X. Anyway, it's fascinating. So there's one more major disruption mm-hmm. coming, I think, in the real estate business, pal, and that's saying goodbye to the real estate broker. I find the process of buying a house where you sort of look online and then you make an appointment to go and see it. You know, it's Sunday between like one o'clock and four o'clock is open houses, a very unfulfilling mechanism. And seeing a house on a Zillow website in two dimensions is still, I still need to go and physically see it. But I do believe when we get high resolution VR and I have an AI agent that can show me around the house and personalize the tour and knows what I love. And as I'm looking at the living room, I can say, can you show it to me with a white carpet or a blue carpet? It can transform it in front of me. And where the AI agent knows exactly what I'm fixated on and looking at and knows my preferences, I think we're going to see a massive transformation of how we buy real estate in the future. Yeah, one of the things, and it's an early model, that I think brokers are replaced by coaches because... I like that idea. If it's not your business, then you're going to need someone to actually know how you think about this. So, for example, Dean Jackson, who you know very well, Dean basically took the real estate, the residential real estate, of a lot of major metropolitan areas in the United States, and he sold it again. He actually sold the real estate again, and that's what it looks like. So he did Toronto first, and he noticed there's neighborhoods that people become attuned to, but if they want to upgrade their home or downgrade their home, depending on where they are in life, they have to move to another area, and they're starting from scratch. So he analyzed each real estate area into eight potential sales that someone starting with their first home when they're 20 years old would still be upgrading in the same neighborhood 40 years later. Mm -hmm. And then he actually created the metrics for this and the data that a real estate agent would have to know so he can actually coach his real estate buyers, not just one sale, but as many as eight different sales over the course of a person's lifetime. And then he sold the exclusive to that territory to a real estate agent. So he took the real estate and resold it, basically. Interesting. And you can either use it as the real estate agent or you can not use it, but you have to pay your monthly fees to maintain your exclusive use of it. Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I don't care one way or another, because if you don't use it, I'll resell it right away. And he's got a list of people, and it's knowledge. So he's actually coaching real estate agents, and he's actually coaching real estate buyers in what their future looks like. Most people buy a house and that's as far as they're thinking going, unless they're flipping houses, which I don't find a very satisfying activity. But could you imagine a future where I go to my AI and I say, listen, I'm interested in a house. We need at least three bedrooms. And you describe what you're looking for. 
and it's a conversational process. Mm-hmm. And as you walk in virtually into a house and it's showing you around, it's learning from you, right? You're training up a neural net and you say, eh, I don't really like this kitchen. What don't you like about the kitchen? It's too this, it's too that, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. So as it learns what you like, it's like you know a great real estate agent that you've worked with after seeing you into a dozen homes will be able to predict whether you're going to like a house yeah. or not. Yeah. But I think that's coaching. Yeah. You know, you have your capabilities, you have knowledge about real estate, but it's really what the future looks like for the particular individual that's determining the likelihood of a sale or not a sale simply because you're getting people to tell what their future plans are and their future is only minimally about real estate. It's about a lot of other factors in their life that real estate is one of the solutions. I mean, that would be your case. Yeah. That would be your case. But you've been, how long have you been in Santa Monica? Yeah, I've done three upgrades in the Santa Monica area over the course of the last 18 years. Yeah. So it's exactly right. I mean, it's interesting. Here's the stat. The U.S. housing market alone grew $33.3 trillion in 2018. That's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, that's real money. Mm-hmm. So it's a big area to be disrupted. And so disruption on where you can create real estate, how you increase the value of real estate by being able to get to it autonomously, and how you sell real estate. We probably should wrap up this webinar, but what happens if you want to build real estate? I think we're going to see a lot of interesting changes and disruption in the construction business as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that should be a subject we talk about next. Yeah, and there's all sorts of new technologies that can make construction a very short process. Yeah, like I said, $33.3 trillion last year, a lot of money going that direction. So, yeah, I think real estate's going to change a lot. I'm super excited about being able to, for me personally, since I hate driving and commuting, being able to get access to real estate that is geographically going to become much more desirable because I can sleep while I get there. Here's something that really fascinated me. Babs and I were in Palm Beach, Florida, and we were driving down to Miami. So we took the intercoastal, and the east coast of Florida is proof that God loves real estate agents because (laughs) they have three coasts. They have the mainland coast, and then they have the offshore piece of land that goes down the full length of Florida, and there's two coasts there, so they get to sell three different coasts. But I got interested, so I looked up at the value of real estate. This is mostly personal real estate, residential real estate, from Palm Beach to Miami. And the total amount of value of real estate was bigger than the GDP of the Soviet Union. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It's being disrupted, but I have to tell you, there's a lot of money to be moved into a different form there. Yeah. I am amazed. All right, Powell. Well, listen, always a pleasure. And real estate business, there are hundreds, thousands of entrepreneurs, at least in California here in, in the Valley, that are working on disrupting the real estate business. But let's jump next time into construction. Construction. Very good. Yes. All right. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Peter. You know, I think all my real estate clients in Strategic Coach are going to share the one that we just did. Well, good, because they need to know about it. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Thank you.